You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're talking learner differences with Beth Anderson. Beth leads the Hill Center, an innovative approach to meeting the needs of students with learner differences. In today's episode, Emily talks with Beth about their approach, what's working, and what she hopes to see in the future when it comes to working with these learners. Let's dive in. Hi, Beth. Welcome to the Getting Smart podcast. Can you uh, introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about the Hill Center and why you do what you do there? Absolutely. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be on the podcast. And yes, yeah, so my name is Beth Anderson, and I'm the executive director at Hill Learning Center. And Hill Learning Center is a K-12 nonprofit based in Durham, North Carolina. Our mission is to transform students with learning differences into competent, independent learners. And we do that through a variety of programs. We have programs for students, including a school year program, summer programs, individual and small group tutoring, all for students with um, learning challenges and serve families across um, the Triangle area here in North Carolina. All of our student programs are research-based and really distinguished by being highly differentiated, um, direct small group instruction in reading, writing, math, and executive function. And beyond our students, we also offer a range of programs for uh, professional development program speakers, for teachers and parents and educators, um, and work in close partnership with school districts and nonprofits to bring Hill methods that we've developed over the last 44 years within our school and our walls, um, and also other research-based practices to more struggling learners across North Carolina and beyond. Um, We reach about 1,000 students per year directly and have trained more than 1,200 teachers last year, and our methodology is in use in about seven states, um, primarily in the southeast. Wonderful. Um, So tell me a little bit more, just starting with brass tacks, how would you define learning differences? And if then you could also elaborate on how differentiation in your space looks similar to what you see in K-12 schools and how it looks different. Yeah, great. So learning differences basically are neurologically based differences in how individuals process information, right? How they receive, process, recall, and communicate all the different information that is coming in um, to all of us uh, all the time. And they may be diagnosed or undiagnosed specific learning disabilities. Most people have heard of dyslexia, which is a reading disability. Um, Also can have dyscalculia, math disability, dysgraphia in writing as well as other processing challenges that often impact learning, things such as ADHD and attention deficits, sensory processing disorders, um, executive function challenges. There's about an estimated one in five individuals have a diagnosed or undiagnosed learning difference. And that has a pretty profound impact on students. Students with LD are sadly three times more likely to drop out of school and about two times more likely to be jobless as an adult. And um, to your question about differentiation, you know, differentiation is the holy grail of every educator, right? It's what every classroom is trying to do and looking looking for. I think where we um, take and, and folks who are really trying to serve students with um, learning differences to the next level is really individualizing um, that differentiated instruction. So when you engage with a Hill Learning Center student program, you know, it's generally in a four to one student ratio. 
And we have um, strategies and techniques and a, and a methodology that we've developed over the last four decades where we really pinpoint specifically what are the gaps that each individual student has um, in their foundational skills in reading, writing, and math. And then we build there. Yeah. Do you see that this space then... We um, personalized learning and more individualized instruction certainly is the direction that a lot of schools are taking for obvious reasons and for good reasons. Do you find that a lot of the research-based strategies and practices you're using um, you think would work well for all learners, um, whether or not they come to school settings with um, learning specific learning differences? Yeah, I, th- I think there are certainly those generalized practices, and that's actually where we're evolving more in a lot of our teacher training and development, is that it was interesting as we worked with school districts, particularly in reading, and that's what we have done the most training um, and support and exporting of our methodology in. And we train their interventionists and their literacy specialists and their exceptional children's teachers, and they say, but wait, we want our, all of our classrooms teachers to understand these strategies, because this is just good, direct, explicit instruction that that teachers need to, to learn how to use. And so while the very specific four-to-one methodology does require that four-to-one kind of individualized um, for the students who really need that level of differentiated instruction, that's not as transferable. But the strategies and the techniques that are used are what we are increasingly training general classroom and tier for tier two and tier one instruction as well. Excellent. And I'm also curious, because you're so focused um, on serving this particular group of students, which often um, do not receive the services that they deserve and need in a traditional public school setting, um, and you're just really an experts in this space, what are some of the ways you're innovating or trying new things and really pushing the boundaries when it comes to working with these learners? Yeah. Um, so our biggest innovation in the last few years has actually been incorporating technology into our methodology. So, and, and starting with our reading methodology, um, our reading methodology, again, has been proven. It's copyrighted um, and we've been using it for many years. And it was a notebook that's about 900 pages thick of all of the content <laughs> and curriculum and algorithms and teachers would literally manually, you know, because it's so individualized, it's a very data-driven program, but they had to have, you know, worksheets and charts and graphs that they were doing in the classroom with each student to move them systematically through this program. So a few years ago, we started working with a software developer and basically took all of the both content, the word list and, um, so you know, curriculum, comprehension text, all of those pieces, as well as the algorithms for a mastery-based approach um, and put them on the technology. And so now we are delivering that um, via iPads where you've got a teacher who has an iPad and then four students who each have an iPad as well. They're connected uh, wirelessly via the web. And the teacher has all of the students' data for all those students in Crestmore right there at her fingertips. The students critically have their own data right there in front of them as well. And they are more engaged than 
than they ever were because they're also digital natives, Mm -hmm. right? It's iPads. They love the technology, but they also are seeing the data that was hidden to them before. They always got the color in their Mm -hmm. graphs and they knew if they mastered, but they see, they see their progress. And for students with learning differences, that's even more important um, because we're breaking this down into bite-sized chunks. These are kids who are used to failing, right? They don't end up in our programs if they are being successful in school. And they start seeing progress from day one because, again, with the technology and the, and the program together and a skilled teacher delivering it, you can really pinpoint um, that and move them through a systematic progression. Do you think that some of that's attributable to the mastery-based approach? And, and are you thinking about it in terms of different competencies that the learners are working towards and on? Um, yes. I mean, mastery-based learning is what we're driving towards because particularly for kids who do have diagnosed learning disabilities, they need to master the rules and the content or else it's not going to stick and they're going to continue having challenges with the basics of reading and decoding. But what you're hinting at is what I kind of talk about is, is sort of the magic of Hill Wrap and what we hear from parents and see in students and hear from our tutors and teachers who are out in public schools working with students as well is that um, they see their own progress, right? They start experiencing success. They know what their goals are. They know every week that they have to master their words three days in a row, then three Mondays in a row, and then it goes on review, right? So they know what their goal is when they're doing a fluency time test and exactly how many words they have to get right three days in a row to master that list. And they feel ownership of it. And we know it through um, that empowerment and such through, they, I've seen our students who are generally the quiet ones who would be hiding in the corner of the classroom actually like correct a teacher if they make a mistake in the methodology, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they also, one of the other neat things, because it is so individualized, um, they support each other, right? And mm-hmm. so they, they celebrate when the kids in their classes make progress or hit their goals or master a list or master their next, um, you know, beat the time on their next time test. So um, it's it's mostly anecdotal evidence. We want to do more um, analysis of the qualitative impacts on that, but we see it and we hear it, and that's why parents um, come to Hill and why teachers enjoy using Hill outside of here as well is, is that growth that the students see and feel. It's not just on a piece of paper. It's not just a number in an assessment. Um, it's their own learning. Have you seen that then learners have more agency over um, what they're learning, uh, both at Hill and then also in their mainstream classroom setting? So that's definitely the philosophy behind our approach. And again, we see it and we do see it anecdotally for sure. Um, and particularly the students who attend our school, it's not just the mastery based level of the program. It's also the intentional strategies and the reinforcement that teachers are doing. And this is part of the teacher professional development throughout. So we are building in to the program and the methodology, helping them improve their executive function skills, helping them better understand what it means to self-advocate. Actually, our whole philosophy, we are a half-day school, so it's a unique model. Kids come to us for three hours a day and spend the other half of their day in another public, private, district charter home, just another educational environment. And the idea behind that is that they are taking the skills they have learned at Hill and taking it back into the classroom. So we help them also explicitly understand who they are as a learner, 
what strategies mm-hmm. work best for them, what accommodations they may need so they can go advocate for themselves in other contexts. Yeah, and you just mentioned something who helped them understand who they are as a learner. I'm really mm-hmm. curious what some of the PD looks like and how your um, educators and facilitators are working to know learners well, um, of course know what um, they're bringing in terms of their learning difference, but also just who they are, who they want to be, and how they learn. And I'm really yeah. curious what are some of those things you do, strategies you use, um, yeah. and I know that all teachers really could seek to benefit from that. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's a great question and something we're trying to actually be more intentional about, capturing and codifying and also kind of sharing with others, because I think a lot of it has happened naturally, honestly, within Hill, when you're in such a small environment where you have four students and one teacher, they do intentionally build time into the table. As you say, a lot of it is the social emotional learning strategies, right? To get to know, to build that relationship with the student. Um, it's just to go back to the technology. This is one reason why we actually really don't want to put our tech. We're using tablets and not laptops or Chromebooks um, mm. because putting that screen up puts a barrier and puts distance between the teacher and the student. But if they have a tablet, our teachers, if you see them in a classroom, if you watch my classes, they are constantly leaning over, right, engaging with the students, looking at what they are doing. There's, you know, it's not only getting to know them, it's also, it's that proximity. So those are just some of the even classroom types of strategies um, that we, that we emphasize in supporting our methodology in that respect. Um, You know, I think helping them understand who they are as learner, our teachers, they will test different things, right? So some kids, um, and this is even as with all the like adaptive technology and assistive technology and things that are out there, right? They will try different strategies. And so if you're trying to help a kid who is really struggling to get organized, and you try a graphic organizer, but that just doesn't work for a lot of kids, right? So mm-hmm. you then, you know, try a different, you'll try a phone because they all do carry phones, right? Try a different phone. Trying, you know, I think a lot of it and a lot of what in our executive function trainings we emphasize with both parents and teachers is don't be afraid to try different strategies and to have different tools in your toolkit. And we do give you, you know, and here are some different tools you can use. Um, some kids, we do encourage kids to use audiobooks, right, and to use the audios when they can, but to actually read along while they're listening. So different things like that um, can just help um, meet their, and, and recognize that not every learner is going to absorb the content in the same way. Um, their kinetic strategies, there are, there are a lot of different little strategies that you can use. Mm. I don't know if that answered their question. But. Absolutely. Um, I just think that in the unique setting that you're in at Hill, um, you have the opportunity to go deeper with each student, and right. that's not always the case. And so you just some of those learned strategies are, are really helpful. Um, yeah. I'm also curious, I know there's probably a lot of learners, some you may know of, who don't have access to Hill or you'd love to see yeah. have access to Hill. Um, yeah. So tell me more about that and, and what you're doing to try and create more access and create more yeah. equitable opportunities for learners to be in spaces like Hill. Yeah. 
Um, thank you for that question. I mean, that question is really speaks to what brought me to Hill five years ago, um, is seeing that we had this sort of what I call the hidden gem here in Durham that is doing great work, but is always going to have limits to what students can access this. And so mm. last year, our board actually adopted a new vision statement that all students with learning differences and attention challenges receive the instruction and support they need regardless of where they attend school or whether they have a diagnosis. And those last two modifiers were especially intentional and important, right, because they're both indicators and barriers to access. Um, mm -hmm. We know that where you attend school often dictates a lot of your educational outcomes. Um, and I'm not just talking about, you know, public versus private, but just where you are within the public school system as well. Um, and whether or not you have a formal diagnosis can be a real barrier to accessing services as well. You know, it's interesting. I just, a new study came out this year. There's always been historical concerns about over-representation of students of color in special education. And the theory behind it was that teachers were eager to refer black students um, mm -hmm. especially and get them out of mainstream classrooms. And so referring them to special ed was a way to do that. Um, but the new re research that came out this year that I was particularly interested in because it especially focused on the South, which is where we do most of our work, said that actually black students are 45% less likely than white students to be identified as having special learning, learning needs even when you control for income and academic achievement. So their white peers who are academically similar to them are getting services and identification that they're not getting. So I think you know this, but I'm just putting in your contact, your, your question in a little bit more context. This is a real priority for us and a driver. And so what we're doing in this area, um, and we've got a lot of learning and growth to do for sure, but we are partnering with others in the field to make a much more intentional effort to reach more students who are furthest from opportunity. Especially sure, with LAP. Yeah. Sure. I think too, and as a former Durham public school teacher, I often yeah. found myself wanting the data and the information sooner. Um, mm -hmm. not just through the identification process, but just the time spent with that learner to get to know them right. and figure out exactly what it what it was that was going on. Um, and right. so I really appreciate what you all are doing because it not only is providing strategies and support and systems for those learners, but doing it quicker, right? You know, every right. day <laughs> that the learner's at school and not really feeling fulfilled and that their needs are met is a day where I feel we have some missed opportunities. So the sooner we can um, get to whatever it is they need, whether it's attending to a learning difference or not, I think um, yeah. the the healthier our, our, our future will be and the healthier our educational ecosystems will be. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, just one last question I have in addition to you sharing anything else you um, think is relevant to the yeah. space, the innovation space and education. but Really curious what your hopes and dreams are for um, these learners and the families yeah. that you're that you're working with. I'm always thinking about what's next, and yeah. um, curious what what you really see see coming or what yeah. you'd like to see. Yeah, I mean, so a couple of things. You know, just speaking about the learners themselves, right? And this is just my hopes and dreams for them as individuals, right? That they actually recognize, appreciate, and celebrate their own brilliance. 
and that they do learn how to advocate for themselves, to educate others, and to channel their unique brains, right, and talents to all of the different kinds of creative and entrepreneurial endeavors they may choose to pursue, um, and that they don't ever again feel stupid or bullied just because they think and learn differently, which is what is sadly the reality for so many of the students with learning differences out there today. You know, my ultimate hope is that we don't need help, right? That you mm-hmm. that, that students don't actually need to attend school or access services at specialized centers like a learning center, but that their needs actually are met in any educational context that they encounter. I think there's a lot of work to be done um, to, for, for that to happen. Um, and I think actually you mentioned the families too. You know, parent, I think some of the great opportunity um, for more innovation and just more leadership and more, more leading change is amongst parents and students themselves, right? And parents have led a lot of the charge. Most of the policies and practices at the federal level, the state level, um, and individual schools, it's parents advocating for their kids who has, who have paved the way to getting ser- services and accommodations and such. Um, but I think I just hope that there's more and more of a broader cross-section cross of parents and students who are advocating for um, and engaged in this work, um, because I think that's part of what it's going to take um, to really get to a world where we recognize that every single classroom in this country and every single teacher standing for students has students with learning differences in it, and they need Need to be prepared and equipped to meet the needs of all of the diverse learners in front of them. I couldn't agree more. Um, you have a wealth of resources on your site. Do you mind pointing mm-hmm. our audience to where we can find out more about Hill and access some of those resources? Yeah, so you can find Hill at uh, www.hillcenter.org. Um, we have a lot of videos and um, resources, particularly about our reading methodology, but on there I also would encourage you can find our community education series, which is a free series open to the public here locally, but we also, whenever the uh, speakers will allow us, we live stream, live stream as well. Um, we had Ladera Horn here last week. Speaking of this kind of student advocacy, he's a phenomenal adult with learning disabilities um, who was here and gave a just phenomenal uh, series, uh, a session working with uh, talking to students, parents, and educators. And those are free and available. And then we have a wealth of teacher training and workshop information on our website as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you do. Thank you so much, Emily. I appreciate it. A big thanks to Beth for taking time to talk with us for today's episode. We appreciate the work her team is doing to support learners. For more on all things innovations in learning, be sure to check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. And before you go, leave us a rating and a review. It helps us get better and it helps more people find us. That's it for today, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Jessica signing off. Jessica signing off.